0: Welcome to This Week in Photo.
1: Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com.
0: This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash TWIP. This episode of TWiP is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package at FreshBooks.com. That's FreshBooks.com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Ford, introducing the all new 2011 Ford Focus Electric with voice activated sync and my Ford Touch, featuring gas free power, zero CO2 emissions, and battery management technology that lets you go the distance. Learn more at FocusElectricPower.com. This week on Twip, the Shepherd Fairy Hope poster controversy is settled. More 3D from CES and an interview with Chris Marquardt, host of Tips from the Top Floor. It's Saturday, January 15th, 2011, and this is Twip. And welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are Mr. Alex Lindsay and Miss Nicole Young. Hey, guys. Hey. hey. Nicole, uh, you haven't been on in quite a while, but Alex... Has been around the world about what four or five times since the last time you were on the show. Well, I've been I've been on a couple planes. You've been yeah. Where where have you been this time? Uh, Every time you come back on the show, you have been someplace exotic. I mean, like so, to so the jungle, I, it, all these places.
1: So the last time I was here, was I in had I had I come back from Rwanda? I thought I had just come back from Rwanda. Or, I, or have, have I not been here since I was in Rwanda? Um, I don't remember. You, you're, I remember. You're I was in Vegas last week, looking at at um gear. You know consumer gear yeah C E S. so yeah. You know, so so i was in at ces before that and then before that i was in in uh in rwanda taking pictures and talking to people and you know that
0: kind of thing wait a minute yeah. wait, wait, wait wait go into that a little deeper because people always hear on the show alex is bouncing back and forth between here and africa what yeah. specifically were you doing in africa you don't just go there to hang out and like go to starbucks what,
1: what were you there you know for? there isn't a starbucks it's, it's, a, it's a business opportunity in rwanda there's oh, no there starbucks there in the in the coffee. Well, there's actually a really good coffee place called bourbon coffee anyway but um uh the i i was we're working with the rwandan government to look at the viability of building a uh, media training uh, center in kigali mm-hmm. and so we're um so i've been um you know talking to you know, government folks there and uh, touring around and seeing what's there and looking at the current state of things there. Uh, and it's, it's pretty exciting, actually. Rwanda's probably the most, from a business perspective, probably the most exciting and te- technological perspective, the most exciting country in, uh, in Africa. It is uh, exciting have- in
0: terms of opportunity or
1: exciting in terms of what they have already? Uh, opportunity, you yeah. know they they are they are right on the verge of really becoming a technological center, one of the technological centers for Africa. You know, it, the problem with a lot of uh, the continent is that you uh, you deal with very expensive connection rates and generally slow connection rates at the same time. Rwanda is really, you know, they have uh, they're investing heavily in. Uh, fiber, so they're they're running four four strands of fiber into the into the capital, and then they're running it out to a whole bunch of uh, you know basically all the major hospitals, schools, uh, government offices, and then they're allowing the commercial entities, MTN, Econet, and all those other uh, companies to then piggyback on top of that fiber backbone and run WiMAX to the rest of the country, and um, the result is going to be really cheap bandwidth. I mean, cheaper than the U.S. considerably and uh, probably kind of on par with, uh, probably on the direction, but kind of between the U.S. prices and Japan prices. So they're really investing a lot in technology, and so we're really looking at how do we take advantage of that. I mean, once they have that fast backbone, people start having connections, how can we uh, use that to help education, uh, e-learning, as well as skills training, uh, and then also just how do we create a business around media production. Uh, A lot of of African countries are looking at that because of uh, Nigeria. You know, Nigeria's uh, film market is exploding so uh all the countries are like we want to do that too so anyway that's that's what i'm doing in rwanda
0: all right nicole um like i said you haven't been on you've been on since alex has been on but you still have been not been on in a while what you've been up to
2: uh pretty much staying within the same 10 mile radius uh here in the salt lake Valley. (laughs) (laughs) there's that much to do there (laughs) really (laughs) yeah well yeah i you know you can go a little further than that but no uh i'm just working you know the normal stuff uh Taking photo, creating photos, editing photos. Are you answered- still
0: Are you still doing that video series? I remember seeing you. I saw a lot of videos of you pop up on uh, YouTube. Are you doing that anymore? Or uh, was- my
2: little my video tutorials. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I try to get one out per week. Maybe you know, like maybe two to three a month. You know, I try and go for there. Uh, like lately, I've been really trying to do more. Uh, there, I call them two minute tips, and they're just little Photoshop tips. You know, because I, I know I don't really like to sit in front of a a training tutorial that lasts like five to 10 plus minutes, yeah. minute minutes long. So I just like, you know, I jump into it, try and get to the point and teach, you know, people who are interested about a little tidbit here and there about Photoshop. So
0: that is really cool. Would you mind if we embedded those in, uh, in this week in photo
2: from time to yeah. time? Yeah, no, that'd be fine.
0: Cool. Just let me, let me know when you get those up and we'll, we'll put them online for the, uh, for the twip listeners to, Absolutely. to check out. That's awesome. Very cool. Anyway,
1: go ahead. Uh, Alex. I was going to say, you know, I, um I'm experimenting with YouTube. I I've heard that people are gonna, you know, start watching videos on it. Yeah. Yeah, a couple. I mean, There's only like two
0: or three users on there right now, but the, but, but it someday, has legs. It has legs. Legs.
1: I think they're going to get some investment and, and they might turn it into something. So I started uh, so I I I am kind of curious for our listeners to uh, go up and take a look at it and comment on the movies that I posted from CES. Um, they were all shot with my iPhone. <laughs> so they're like mm. point my point of view of, and they're all like about a minute long and uh, kind of experimenting with that format of uh doing, you know, I I tend to want to have lots of gear and everything to be perfect. And so this is kind of more of an experiment. Of being rough and just kind of showing stuff that I'm working on, totally. Um, and so, you know, and, and try and I'm not putting it in the major feeds or anything else. I'm just putting it on YouTube because I don't, I don't know how well it'll, you know, I just don't know what I'm, what I want to do with it yet. So, but if people go up and and it's Alex Lindsay, all one word, Alex Lindsay PXC PXC. Um, and if you go up there, and you'll see all a bunch of CES videos, but definitely check them out if you can. Uh, give you know feedback on the videos or feedback on my Twitter or whatever, uh, and let me know what you think of them. I'm thinking of doing those not just about technology but just about cool things that I that I want to cover uh, and I'm trying to you know I'm trying to practice this muscle of of allowing things to be a little rougher than than I usually want them to be
0: yeah that's awesome yeah because that's that's actually quite a stretch for you because you are you're the you're (laughs) the not you're 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 one half consummate perfectionist and then the other half well-funded so you buy all this stuff but it's got to be the best stuff you know
1: and and it's just it's it's complicated and and a lot of times I don't want to shoot because I don't have all the stuff and and uh and I just you know I used to shoot all these videos uh, with, I used to shoot all the videos about things that I was working on and, uh, they were just my internal notes so I could prep for shooting them with the crew the next day. And someone saw the videos and they were like, you know, you should just put these up. And so, so I tried that at CES. The audio is really bad. Um, and I'm using, but anyway, but I, but I, I, um, started playing with it and I'm definitely going to. Uh, continue it if people like it because it's it's a really uh, it's just fun because I just get them done and get them out and I don't worry too much about uh, you know about the quality um, I worry about the content and uh, anyway so so definitely check those out there. That's interesting.
2: Uh, Alex, were you using any kind of like iPhone rig for your video? Because I I sometimes am. real it is. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. <laughs> you were. <laughs> you, like, had you, like, that, you, know, you had that. You had that Iron so Man costly. rig
0: on it, didn't you? It was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Go ahead. The
2: video is really good on this on the iPhone. Uh, I have the iPhone four, and it's I'm actually really impressed by it. You know, especially just for you know little yeah. bits here and there. But it's really if you're holding it, it doesn't matter Well, yeah, that plus it's just you know you shake and it's nobody yeah. wants to see that.
1: Yeah, so I so I put on a, uh, I got an owly. So it's a o it's a boobo. It's a o the company's o w l e owly, and oh, yeah. uh, it's a yeah. boobo. And what it is is it's kind of this uh, uh, machined. Uh, holder for your iPhone. You, you can get one for your iPhone three or four, and then it has a wide-angle adapter that you can screw onto it, and uh, and so it, it's got that kind of setup. And then you have um, uh, it has a it has an opening so that you can put a mic on it, and it and then it has a bunch of quarter twenty um, connections so that you can put it on a tripod if you want. And the big thing is, it adds a little weight, and it also means you can grab onto your iPhone with one hand and just kind of swing it around with, your, and you point to things with the other hand. So you really get this kind of, uh, like I'm really working on, you know, having this kind of very um, POV kind of thing where you're, where I'm showing something on the alley, and then I'm pointing to stuff and grabbing onto things and showing it to the camera. And with the wide-angle adapter, you can really get close to things. And have that, you know, that interactive experience. What's kind of cool about the iPhone once you get used to it is you can also click on the screen and have it, you know, re-expose or refocus, you know, while you're talking. Mm. What, how do of- you,
0: well, you know, everyone knows like, with, with video
1: it could be great or it could be sucky, but what will tank it is bad audio. What, how do you handle that? So I did get bad audio. So what you'll see in the CES ones is I had just my uh, an, just my headset that I use for making phone calls, uh, running through it, and what you're gonna see is bad audio. So um, in, in short amounts, I think it's okay, the content's okay, but I'm, the next round is definitely gonna have better audio. And so uh, I'm gonna, you know, this is what happens. This is the problem, this is the, what gets me in trouble is I was like, okay, this stinks, but I've got, you know, a sound device's mobile pre that I can throw over my shoulder and then wire the, the sound into the <laughs> iPhone. And mm-hmm. before you know it, I'm going to be like this, like crazy rig. That, Frankenstein. You know, yeah. So, so, but the, you know, and, and so there's a lots of little, you know, I may turn this into a little bit of a Frankenstein project. That's kind of what I do. Um, but it started with just the iPhone and, um, in the alley. And then, uh, and, and then I'm going to start adding to it. The, the problem with the audio is, is that it's doing kind of an auto, you know, um, uh, auto levels, and uh, and so it's not quite as, you know, It I just get over-driven in it. So I'm going to get a better mic, and I'm going to run it through a little bit of a processing before it gets to the iPhone, but I'm really trying to still keep it. One of the things I want to be able to do is be at these events and be on my iPhone and shoot stuff and then upload them from my iPhone while I'm shooting them. Mm. You know, so I'm trying to get to this kind of super... Uh, reactive you like know, super
0: Superman on the street connected without without the microwave van in the back of the building right Yes. Yeah, yeah. kind of
1: shoot and transmit yeah so that's what i'm, I'm trying to build that muscle where i'm, I'm allowing it to get i'll allow the, the rig to get a little bit larger but i don't i also want to make it pretty, pretty convenient that i can just kind of walk around and not feel like it's this huge thing you know and um and i also by keeping it semi-rough it, it allows it kind of gives me freedom to just kind of hack and so i'm going to there's going to be a lot more on my on my YouTube uh, channel as I start to play around. So there'll be stuff in my house and there'll be stuff in you know like but gear that I'm using that that yes. I that my house. I, I you haven't been here for a while, Fred, but it's it's uh, it's a uh, it's I've got speed rail all over the your your house,
0: Alex is is if I remember, it is the ultimate sort of man
1: cave. Yeah geek mecca well, have- <laughs> so it's by way, it's not the family house. the family house is in the front and then there's this little just, just house. being able to make that statement it's not the family oh, house you well know. well it's, <laughs> well, it's in- that's important because you can't oh it's you know, the my- house
0: that we keep on acre 75 we you know we
1: barely no, no, use no, no, no. it It's a even tiny little it's, it's it's not that big and, and we live out of the city so we can get more space and yeah I know. and so this is really the office and there's other guys that are now coming this is going to start working here with me and um so it really is like a it's it's not m- just mine it's 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 the office but it's uh but it's nice to be able to walk uh you know, across the 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 um, parking area, yeah, in the house with bedhead, without you know, and go to work.
0: I want to uh, give a nod to our sponsor, who is Audible, and we're brought to you by them. They're at audible.com. They're the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, and they feature audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And for listeners of this podcast, they're offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out the service. And if you'd like one, just head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip and alex you are uh i'm in the i'm kind of in the series of of like internet marketing and all that stuff and i've been mentioning those on the show but i'm interested to hear what you're listening to right now because you always have these wacky choices what's what's in your <laughs> what's in, like you're like you go from technology to
1: business to history to you know yeah. civil war what, what are you listening to now I'm bouncing between two books, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. Um, and uh, the, the one that I'm re, re-listening to, they're both of them I've heard before now, and I'm re-listening to them because I feel like I missed some of the about the the uh, some of the stuff. And one is, uh, the first one is um, Shop Class as Soulcraft by Ma- Matthew Crawford. And it really is about the need to be doing stuff, you know, like, you know, working on things with your hands and being Mm. interacting and how that just changes your understanding of, of how work happens and and what's important about, uh, you know, that, that kind of more manual stuff. I I know that I, a lot of times we get caught up in, uh, all the technology and all the theoretical possibilities and everything else. But there is a certain level of you just need to go out and do it. You know, we can talk about photography, for instance, but unless you're shooting a lot, it doesn't make as much of a difference. And so he's just he's a kind of a, uh, you know, a shop uh, a metal shop philosopher, and uh, and I really, you know, really enjoy uh, you know listening to him from a philosophical perspective. Um, the other book that I've been listening to a lot is called A Thousand Hills by Stephen Kinzer, mm. and this one's about Rwanda, and it's about the history of Rwanda and Kagami, and because I, I started listening to it because, of course, I was going to Rwanda, and I wanted to make sure I was culturally sensitive and uh, understood what was going on there, because it's very complicated there, yeah. and um, it's just a fascinating book. I mean, it, it's just, it's a fascinating book. It's very hard to read sometimes, you know, or listen to sometimes times because of the stuff that happened but it gives you a very important uh very important uh historical perspective on all the things that happened that reached 1994 and what's happened since then which is much more empowering i mean much more exciting um than what happened in 1994 and so uh it's it's just a it's it's definitely worth checking out even if you've only tangentially tangentially are interested in rwanda it's just a really well, well put together book. The, the audio quality and the read quality is just okay, but the uh, but the content is just fantastic. So you know, those, I'm, are, I'm, I'm,
0: th- I'm curious about how, how specifically you listen to these books. I mean, are you is it is it always
1: on your iPhone or do you bounce back and forth between the iPhone and your iPad or on the yeah. computer or what do you what do you do? Generally it's just with my iPhone. Um, and I plug my iPhone sometimes into my, my house speakers. Mm-hmm. So, so I have, you know, and so, so I can listen to it while i cause what I'm mostly doing when I'm listening to a book is cleaning the house or, or driving or walking somewhere. And those are the, those are the three things that I do that they, they tend to live in this world of, I think these are a waste of time, but I have to do them. And, uh, and I'll fill up that wasted time with something useful. I mean, that's kind of what that, you know, that, that's why, that's when I listen to, uh, to audible books is is um uh, is when i'm doing something that would frustrate me that i'm spending time working on it yeah. if i wasn't doing something that, that intellectually stimulated me you know and so so it, it, cuz i'm like this is stupid i'm you know polishing you know the sink and and so um but then it makes it kind of fun and so I I look forward to my little breaks where I get to go uh, clean my house because that's I get to listen to another book and well, so it's fantastic great. so definitely uh, is it Twip is it T W I P is that the is that yeah the, uh,
0: it is audiblepodcast.com dot com forward slash T W I P you can go and uh, user listeners can go get a get a free audio book of their choice
1: which is I nice. highly suggest it it's the only way to to read a book in my opinion
0: yeah yeah I love,
1: well I wouldn't say the only way but it is a great way it's the yeah. only way you should read a book. <laughs>
0: It doesn't have
1: lots of pictures. If it's got lots of pictures, then you want to look at it. But if if it's got lots of words, yeah, don't waste your. You know, you you don't want to be caught uh, monotasking. See, see, read read with your ears, read with your ears. Don't want to be caught in monotasking. Don't monotask. Friends don't let friends monotask.
0: Nice. All right. That might be the name of this uh this episode. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it is time to jump into the news and uh the first story. Uh so you guys remember back during the uh during the elections there was that whole hope poster that Shepard Fairey created of Obama It was like the the uh, kind of solarized look with the red the blue and the different colors uh, of a photograph and the controversy around that was that it was not his photograph and he just kind of made the art from it and then it got popular which you know of course the person that made it was not very happy that he's, his, his art was leveraged to make this very popular now even iconic poster so apparently Shepard Ferry and the AP settled the legal dispute over that poster but it still raised a, raises a bunch of questions About, especially, specifically to you guys, I wanted to pose this. You know, we've got people out there that can take work. Now, this is, like, notwithstanding Creative Commons, right? So... Creative Commons, depending on the license, you can take a piece of art and if it's licensed under Creative Commons, you can do stuff to it, make it your own, remix it, do whatever. Um, but if it's not licensed under Creative Commons, it, Alex, I want to put this to you first. If, let's say, Nicole goes out and she does one of her great shots for iStock and it's wonderful and then somebody gets a copy of that shot and maybe it's a poster and they take a picture of that poster and then bring it into Photoshop and remix it into something that is nothing resembling the original art, but you can still tell that it came from Nicole's piece.
1: Is that legal? Oh, I, I think that it, it, it probably, you know, it's one of those things where it's so close to the line that you don't know whether it's legal or not. I mean, it would really have to go all the way to the Supreme Court, and it'd be very expensive, and that's why we all settled out of court on this one. And I think that mostly what happened was is that we have, a, we have an artist who can't afford to uh, continue to um, take this to court uh, and run with it because it just it would just it'd it it be an investment of two hundred thousand dollars, probably not worth it you know for him or half a million dollars, probably get it all the way to the Supreme Court, which is probably where AP was willing to take it so so I think that it has more to do with that than anything else I, I think that you know derivative works that are not you know using it directly uh, you know it, and he may have used it directly, um, but I think that it's, it's, that 's a really complicated area. And I think that, um, you know, eventually we're going to have somebody willing to take it all the way and we'll, then we'll find out what our courts say because um, I, 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 I think when we're talking about legality, um, it's it, it really is in a very fine line. I know a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm a photographer and so I take lots of photos, but I also am a Photoshop artist and, you know, I know lots of people and, and in lots of different areas and myself, you know, um, not as much anymore. I generally now, now that we have a commercial business and I have to do all this stuff, I'm so... I'm, like crazy careful about what i use um but back in the 90s when we started i mean it was a wild wild west and you grab all kinds of stuff you know and and pull it off and and use it at least as reference you wouldn't necessarily end up using the final product but you would use a lot of that stuff and 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 i'm not sure if the person who took it really you know maybe they i I guess they you know there's this whole thing about that artists have about perceived loss versus actual loss and i think that that's the issue is that i mean when we get into more of the ethics of it is that a lot of times people perceive that they lost something because someone used something, but what they don't take into account is if if, if they didn't use yours, they would have used somebody else. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, or they would have done something else. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's not a... Uh, it's not as direct as as that. If if you had said on the on, and branded on it, you can't use this, or you're going to have to pay for it. I think that in some ways he probably wished that they had done that, um, in, you know, or wished he had thought about that because then he would have not had to deal with all this stuff.
0: So you Nic- know? Nicole, I want to I want to throw it at you and and give it a slightly different spin. So we know. You know, Shepard Ferry took this photograph of or had this photograph of Obama and made it his own. He sort of remixed it, transformed it and arguably created something new. So let's take it from the standpoint of you've got a, a gazillion images that live on iStock right now um, and some on Flickr, all this stuff. Or, you know, uh, say it's not on iStock. Can someone if they decide hey i 'm a Photoshop artist and I want to build a composite or a you know a, a, an image that 's comprised of several different images you know maybe i 'm going to take a telephone from this image i 'm going to take a, a shot of a baby from this image i 'm going to take you know and they bring it all together, they cut them out, and they bring it all together into some entirely new composition. Is that legal, and how would you feel if if you saw that final work that 's got popular, like say the Shepherd Fairy Hope poster got popular? And you saw a baby that you photographed as a one little tiny element in there. What would you do?
2: Well, I think that to kind of push it through to the end result of what they're, you know, like if if somebody's doing this just for art and they just wanted to create something really cool, like a desktop wallpaper or something to put on their blog, I might let it slide. You know, I mean, if it's something that I have an iStock and they stole it from me, then I might, you know, I might be like, hey, you know, you really shouldn't be using that. But if their entire purpose for creating something like that is to profit from it, then that's a completely different story. You know, if I can uh, look at something and, and know and any other person could look at it and say, That's that's Nicole's photograph, you know, then you know, then I don't I don't think it's right. And and back to this actual, you know, case that we're talking about I don't really think that he did very much to the photo to, you know, to change it enough Mm. to make it not look like, I mean, I, I, you know, I pulled up a photo. I have it right in front of me. I've got the picture of a, uh, of a president Obama. And then I have the hope poster side by side. And they're just like, you know, like you said, it just looks like a solarized version of the photograph. It doesn't really, he didn't really do that much to it. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure I know enough about Photoshop that, yeah, there's probably a lot of time and energy and stuff put into doing all the effects, but it still looks so similar to the actual original photograph, you know? And with this case, if, if I'm understanding this, he actually lied about what photo he used. And he, he, you know, he said he didn't actually use an AP one or something like that. And I don't know. I just, I think it was just kind of, I don't know. I, this, you know, there, there are so many different ways that these situations could happen. You know, like it could be legit. It could just be for like an art project for school. Somebody could take one of my photos illegally, throw it on a billboard, and make a bunch of money from it. You know, it just—I think it really kind of depends on the intent of the the actual person using the photograph.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, so. that's interesting. I don't know. I, you know, I. Yeah, it's it's a tough one but you know,
1: and, and I just want to say that looking at the photo I'm not and I'm not 100% sure but my guess is is that he did actually a, probably a lot more work than than what uh than just posterize it so I used yeah. to oh, yeah. do so and I used to do posters that look like this <laughs> so so um and to, to get them at print quality uh basically that that was I mean when I did it uh it, that was uh illustrator you know that was an Illustrator project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so there's a, there was a lot of you know you're basically rebuilding the entire. Uh, now I was using images that we owned. You know, and then I would build this kind of this kind so of. You, uh, you well, take a you take a photograph and and convert it to paths and then delete things so that you reduce the detail. No, no, no. Well, back in the day, I mean, I don't know. You know, it, you could probably do that a little bit, but it, it's pretty difficult. So what you'd end up doing the best way to do to put this together, we would we had a stock agency. I was working for um, Prime Sports Network, and and so I would do a lot of their print stuff. And, and this was one of the things that we kind of got into doing um, some kind of impressionistic stuff from some of the pieces that we had. But we had a stock agency, so we would, you know, we had access to, to the stock footage, and and uh, and we could do pretty much whatever we wanted with it, with the contract that they paid for. Um, and so what I would do is a lot of times I would take images, and then I would I would use them as underlays, and then I'd take them into underlays in Illustrator, and then just trace, you know, all the stuff to liberty or moving stuff around. And but how you put that all together, it was not you weren't actually using the photo at all. I mean, it was like if you could. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you, it was like having tracing paper over top of something and then and then drawing. But even over,
0: then, be, but even then, is that legal? I mean, you know, to take to take some tracing paper, go to the craft store, get some tracing paper, take a photo, take a photo that's licensed, put it on top of that, and outline it, and draw that, and then lift it up, and you have something that was based on the original,
1: but it's not the original. Is that legal? You know, I, I have to say that I and, and I'm not, you know, this isn't my livelihood. I mean, photography is part of my job, but it's not yeah. it's not my livelihood. But I look at it kind of, you know, at some point we have to also taken you know we have to look at uh, the uh the other side of this of this process is that. Um, is that we, we can't kill all creative use or reuse of, of materials, you know, to protect this to the nth degree. You know, there's a lot of creativity. And, and, and the nth degree on the other side of this is that there's just an enormous amount of orphan works, whether it's photography or music or movies that we'll never see again because we're, we're protecting these rights to a level that um, basically it's not commercially viable to um, to put anything out. Uh, but it's also not, uh, you know, that no one wants to do anything with it, but they're not and, and the people who want to do something with it aren't allowed to. And so basically, we've just killed that artwork, you know, and, and that's the thing that that we, you know, we, we have to find. And I'm not saying that this is it. I'm just saying that there's a line somewhere that we have to start you know, really thinking about because we're really giving up a lot as a culture by not allowing people to play with stuff. Generally, most of our stuff that I put out. Um, a large portion of it is, uh, you know, creative commons, you yeah. know, so, so I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't, you know, and now I, I will say mine's like, you can distribute, and you just got to make sure you attribute it to us and without you can't change it all without asking us. But most people who call us and ask if they can borrow something and do, you know, cut up and do some stuff. I kind of want to know what it is, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't really need money from it. You yeah. know, like, I just kind of like eh, that's fine. You know, as long as you tell people that that's where you started with, and I get some attribution for it, you know, I'm kind of fine with that, you know, and that's the, and, and, and you know, that's our approach to it.
0: All right, this next story, it, Nicole, is right up your alley. It's about uh, iStock Photo beginning to accept uh, contributor submissions of editorial images. Mm-hmm. So to date, they haven't done that, right? All the images on there were are images that either people staged or um, otherwise created, kind of like you know commercial photography style. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're looking for more editorial type things. Are you uh, what? Do, what do you think about that? Is that a good move for them, or well, because that that the quality thing is the one thing that pops into my head because the images I look at on iStock now are just beyond high quality. I mean, they're, they're beautiful. You know, I'm looking at this will photojournalists and people that know how to get an editorial type photograph, uh, put them into iStock or will it just be people that are generally competent photographers putting, you know, whatever they want in there? What do you, where's What's your take on that?
2: Well, I, I'm really excited about this. Uh, I I know, pretty much as much as, as anyone else does, because I'm not really on the inside of things. I read what they put out. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, from what I see it is it basically just opens up more doors for like my own photography. Not that I wouldn't go out and take these pictures anyways, but you know, I can, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really exciting. You know, the, the things I think that people are concerned with, I know that you've, you've mentioned before is, uh, well, like the model releases, I know is one thing, uh, we don't need, model releases for the majority of the photos and the editing thing is the other side to the story, which uh, they've outlined a few of the guidelines. Like, you know, there's no like pixel pushing or anything like that. I think they'll let you take out sensor spots and maybe, you know, things like that, but yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah, yeah. See, that's that's an interesting tip. that's an interesting piece right there because I know um, a lot of stock photographers, you know, the people that, that submit to iStock, you can massage the photo, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, currently oh, yeah. you can you can make it better, you can you know remove things that weren't that you don't like in the photo. You can do all that kind of stuff. With this, if it's an editorial submission, you can't do anything to it that beyond what you could do in a traditional dip and dunk darkroom, correct? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, because they want to maintain the integrity of the image. Because these are going to be these are going to have separate licenses. You know, it's not like basically anything on iStock right now is technically also an editorial license, but it's a commercial license. You know, so you can use it for commercial advertising. But if you also want to throw it in, you know, a news story or whatever, you can go ahead and do that and just you know take the word of the photographer and whatever the description is in the photo. But the editorial they're going to require a lot more detail for the captions. You know, like. Uh, a location, what's happening in the image? Not necessarily no names. I don't. I don't think they want names of people or anything like that, like you would get for a news story. But you know, they, they want more, you know, actual like facts of of the area. Like if you're in, if you're traveling and, and you want to photograph a, a street somewhere, you know, maybe say, oh, this is in downtown, wherever, and this is what's happening. If there is maybe like you know. a, parade happening i don't know
0: yeah uh, so veteran veteran photojournalists would say oh okay so they're going to require people to do normal captioning now <laughs> you know, I, don't know.
2: I, I don't know you know i'm not a photojournalist yeah. uh and it'd be interesting actually if we had one on the show uh because they'd be able to give a completely different perspective on this but i don't know if this is gonna I, I, there's always people who want to get into you know stock micro stock and maybe this will open doors for people who are like well you know i'm not really interested in doing the the commercial side of things uh but i love to photo i, I do travel photography so oh maybe i'll start you know photographing things and putting them on iStock because i don't need releases and maybe they'll just be licensed editorial yeah so
0: yeah i can see you know we we have to have steve simon back on because i would love to get his take on this because he is that photojournalist guy right and i wonder if he would use this as an additional revenue stream for his work that he does around the world you know just kind of yeah. you know taking a selection of shots from a particular trip and putting them in iStock to let them generate some revenue seems like it
1: i know for me i i travel a lot and uh you know i'm in africa a lot and europe and japan and i would I'm pretty excited about the idea of being able to, because t- I, I just, I look at the iStock stuff and I go, oh, I couldn't really, I don't really shoot the kind of stuff that, that would be good for, you know, the typical iStock stuff, but I shoot a lot of stuff that would be good for this.
2: I think that, I think that I could see some, you know, even, I don't know if, if how many people out there know this is coming, but other things that they're allowing are product shots, like say the iPhone, you know, photograph the iPhone on a nice white background. And then, a you know, like a tech blog wants to use, they're talking about the iPhone and it has nothing to do with being sponsored or anything like that. And they just need a nice, clean photograph of an iPhone. They can go there, and I'm pretty sure that that would fall under editorial. So that, you know, as long as their story and everything fits with it, then they could, you know, license that photograph from iS- iStock at, under editorial use and use it that way. So it's not just going to be, you know, events and things happening You know, around the world with um, you know non model released people, it's going to be other you know like photographs of cars and I don't know, you name all the things that we could never submit in the past. You know that are like uh, you know trademarked because of their. Design or whatever; uh, those are things that we can now actually photograph and so here. So, there, as so. for an
0: example, um, I know that you couldn't just to bring it bring it into the reality for folks. You could not submit a photo of someone talking on an iPhone, for example, right? Not if. <laughs> Not like With with obvious, the Apple that's, that's logo, because like,
2: no, yeah, I mean, the iPhone know. is
0: iconic, has an iconic shape. Yeah. Of course, even if you Photoshop out the Apple logo off the back of yeah. it, you can still tell that this iconic shape is an iPhone, right? Yeah. So you would not be able to submit that into iStock. But if you position it as an editorial photograph, does this mean you could do that now?
2: Yeah, I mean, that, you know, is with a person with the phone, I don't know about that, because that would be like posing and staging I, like I said, I, I don't know all the details of it, but if, you know, I, I picture more like product shots and, oh gosh, I don't know. But you know, it's, it's interesting. It's a whole new world of photography because it's like a lot of the things that were like Big no nos are yeah. going to be like, yeah, you can do that. It's well, give me, give me an example tono.
0: of one of those. Give me an example of a gigantic no no that is now a yes yes.
2: The cars is one. You know, yeah. like there were a lot like of showing a picture of a
0: BMW yeah. driving People down the street. Was... You could show it. You couldn't yeah. show it exactly. as a regular, but if you now you can position it as editorial and now, hey, look yeah. at this Beamer on the coast. You can do a lot that.
2: of those. A lot of those images were actually removed from the site in the past year, maybe even the past couple of years. Uh, you know, the, the things that have been previously uploaded and approved. And, you know, then they're being really, they're just basically tightening the reins and going, you know what, if you look at this, yeah, you can't see the logo, but we really shouldn't have this on the site because, you know, somebody might look at that and say, oh, that's a, that's a BMW or that's a Ford or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. so that they've been really, you know, picky about that, which is good. And they it's really good. It's always good to be over cautious on issues like that, just legally. But now, you know, we can... Do, uh, we can do that stuff. It's it's not going to be you know commercial use. It's going to be editorial. But that's cool. There's probably a lot of you know there's probably a lot of websites places out there that you know say there's like a recall on uh, Lamborghinis or something, and mm-hmm. they need a photograph of a Lamborghini. Then they'll just you know go to one of these places and for inexpensive you know they do not have to license it a uh, really expensive license through you know any of the other sites. They can that just is do exciting. It, that's that's, so, that's yeah.
0: really exciting. Yeah, I know. Between between using say a site like Flickr and looking for Creative Commons released images. And if you need something that's very specific, going over to iStock and paying a couple dollars for it, you know, the whole world has changed in terms of all this, you know, the accessibility to high quality photography. It's amazing. Okay Alex before and before we continue on with this um, this show is also brought to you by Ford and they're introducing their all new Ford Focus with voice activated sync and that my Ford touch technology. Now I, I know gonna I know it's going to be your next <laughs> car because it has technology in it. <laughs> Anything with technology a in it Alex car. has to have. <laughs>
1: It's yeah, it's the geek's know, it's car. It's literally a car anymore. I mean it's like it's like an appliance that rides on the road. I you mean, you, you know, wear it's, it. It's, it's, it's like your Iron Man I, I, suit now, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, Ford is moving moving out of being, you know, the thing is is that I I have decided that I didn't want to buy an uh, we have a car that has ga- that burns gas. And I decided the next vehicle I get or all the vehicles that I buy uh, are going to be 100 percent. I don't you know no gas tank. It's just going to be all battery. Uh, I, I, I've been calculating how long, how, you know, how long, it ta- what it takes to get to San Francisco and back. And I can do it on a, on a charge. Uh, and uh, and I'm just uh, super excited about uh, seeing that, that Ford is, is, is dealing with this because they have all the other stuff that I wanted, all the, the sync stuff is really something I get excited about um, when I see Leo's and I'm in, you know, in his Mustang. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I don't want to buy something that's going to burn up a lot of gas. I, I just don't like the smell. You know, it's yep. not really yep. an environmental thing. I just don't like gas. You know, it's just messy. It's, you know, anyway. So uh, so anyway, this has got, you know, the lithium-ion battery. You can do 120 volt or you can have them install. I guess Best Buy is going to be installing these 240 volt outlets. uh, to, oh, wow. uh You know, to uh, so that you can um, charge it quickly. Uh, you know, it, it's going to, you know, offer more miles per charge than any other competitive uh, vehicle on the market. So uh, that, that's what they say. I can't wait to try it out myself. Uh, and, and the thing is, is that it, depending on, you know, as gas continues to become more expensive, you may find that electric is going to be cheaper per mile than, than gas. And so uh, that looks like it's going to be the case. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll see how that comes out when they release these. Uh, But you're going to have battery management, entertainment, climate control. You have all these things that are all built in. Of course, Um, the SYNC has understands already 10,000 voice commands. Wait, wait, Uh, 10,000 voice commands.
0: This thing. 10,000. What wait, can,
1: you, can you say? You know, hey, uh- <laughs> you know, email, like I can say, you know, I don't have one, but I've seen Leo do it. It's like e- e- I can go email Frederick Johnson, and then I, Frederick, I am running late, or I'm going to be there on time, or let's go have dinner, and all that stuff, and, and it'll get out of here. Really? It'll email from your car. Like, I did not know that. I thought,
0: I thought honestly, and maybe it was in here. I thought Sync was like, okay, adjust temperature up ten degrees. Uh, really? Play track fifteen on playlist five, whatever that kind of That's stuff. That's just the
1: beginning. Wow. I mean it really is. It can do all that stuff for you. You can and so the, 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 the issue is is that it really lets you start to interact and not do the things that many of us uh, have done in the <laughs> car that we shouldn't do in the car, like text messaging and emailing it, and stuff like that. Tweet, tweet. Not that I would not that I would ever do that from my car. Yes, yeah, uh, so Alex, because so. you never tweet from your car. Uh, no.
0: well here's a question. Will it let you find your car if you lose it? Like hey. some, some people tend to lose their cars from
1: time to time. <laughs> hey, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> Shut your pie hole. That's all I'm saying there. I, didn't, I only lost it for a couple of hours. I, although I have to say that my CRV is the, is the, uh, the largest thing I've ever, I've ever lost. Um, That's amazing. Uh, not the most expensive thing I've ever lost, but it's the largest thing I've ever lost. Um, Just don't and, lose uh, your house, okay? So I, I, you know, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that they have something built in. I'm sure that they have all kinds of systems within the sink. We'll find out for a future show. So you'll have to come back to the next show and the next ad, and we'll tell you whether the Ford sink will let you tell you to find But they've got a lot of that stuff built in, so you can find, find where your phone is. Find, <laughs> not where your phone is, where your car is. Find my car. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's Exactly. But if you want to find out more about this, and, and I would highly suggest it, uh, is Ford, Fo- Fo- For, um, sorry, FocusElectricPower.com. That's FocusElectricPower.com. Uh, you definitely want to uh, uh, check it out. I am so excited about the fact that all of these electric vehicles are coming out. I, this is a bigger, to me, the bigger thing here is that by, by us getting electric cars, uh, and as all these electric cars come out, it allows us to kind of centralize energy, which means that when we decide we want to change to something more efficient than coal or, or gas, or whatever we're not trying to build a whole bunch of new gas stations you know we're just simply everybody's getting the power you know over the power lines and how we, that it makes it much, much easier for us as a country to change, you know, how we're going to you know, move around uh, than trying to go from. I'm not that interested in hydrogen. I'm not interested in, you know, natural gas or ethanol or all those other things because it just means that we're going to have to keep on changing 100,000 know, uh, gas stations rather than we can just plug it in at the house. And to me, I'm all about convenience. And I, my life really works when it comes to, like, batteries. I've got that figured out, like charging things. Yep. I know how to charge stuff. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm really, really good at charging things. And, uh, and so that, that to me, that's the future. And so I think that and, and Ford, of course, has really gone from being a, you know, I just didn't think of it that much to now like they are really becoming a technological leader when it comes to. You know automobiles.
0: All right, I'm gonna go check one out um, soon because I'm yes. actually I'm actually in the market for a new car. Yeah, or, you so you know, and I may jump up to some. I know my my brain's gonna be blown away when I see these. I'm afraid to go look at these cars because I know what's
2: gonna happen. I'm the same way <laughs> because I have had my, I have a CRV. I have a Honda CRV and I love it and it's perfect yeah. for you know doing long trips or whatever. And it, I throw all my camera gear in the back, but. Uh, I've been looking at these sinks and I'm like, they look so nice. But I still want to, I want to have my car for like five more years before I do anything. So I can't I even know. go look I'm afraid. deciding <laughs> some paperwork or something.
0: All right. To listeners, if you want to learn more again, visit FocusElectricPower.com. That's FocusElectricPower.com. And you can see the object of Alex's desire and will probably likely be the object of my desire. Sorry. <laughs> All right, next story up. Um, I want to talk about Alex. This is right up your alley because uh, you just came from CES, and one of the big themes there was 3D. Right, 3D cameras, 3D televisions, everything's in three in the third dimension. So uh, there's also these 3D printers. What people may people may not have heard about. What like what what's your over- first of all before we talk about the 3D printers at CES? The overall sort of theme, like I said, was was of 3D, but a lot of the criticism that CES gets or the people that present there is that they're trying to shove different technologies down vendors' throats that aren't ready for it. Like, hey, now you you should be interested in 3D this year, so here's a bunch of 3D stuff. Like, Is that your
1: take, or is 3D here to stay? I think 3D's here to stay. I mean, it's, it's something that we... We kind of looked at like, I think we're going to do some 3D stuff or we're kind of interested in 3D a year ago at CES, but I I wasn't sold on it until I really started seeing lots of consumer 3D cameras. So that's one of the things that we saw a lot of at, at CES. So... Uh, whether it's um, you know, there's now, a, and I'm talking about video cameras. There's a couple still cameras, but there's definitely video cameras like the Sony Bloggy that has two two sensors. Uh, Polaroid has one. Fuji's had one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so there's a lot of these uh, JVC, Panasonic. Everyone you know is is getting either uh, 3D adapters or 3D sensors uh, to allow people to do it. And then and the viewing is becoming easier. A lot of the mon- the TVs are getting cheaper. And, uh, so a lot of that stuff is becoming much more accessible and it is fun. You know, I have to say that, uh, you know, 3D is a lot of fun to play with, and when it works, when it doesn't work, it gives you a headache. <laughs> right now, yeah. Uh, but when it does work, it's it's just a lot of fun. In fact, one of the things that I'm curious about with iStock is how long we're going to go before iStock starts to uh, take stereoscopic uh, submissions. You know, to the uh, you know to to um you know because I think that, that that's that's going to be the next you know evolution in in their offerings. So I,
0: I would it, I would put you on the leading edge of that of the 3D wave, Alex, but. Like for, and I would put me kind of in the consumer, oh, think- like square in the middle of consumer. Like, I'm not, for example, you know, I don't have anything against 3D, but like we were talking about on a previous show, I, you know, I just got the the flat screen I have. I'm not going to buy another one just for this 3D thing and a bunch of glasses for people to put on and all this stuff. I'm just like, yeah, yeah it, I mean, it- am I just too, or am I the old guy saying, hey, you know, I want my <laughs> horse and buggy? Yeah, you I know,
1: think, I think, I think. Consumer (laughs) penetration of this is probably somewhere between two and four years away. So I think that we're looking at 2013, 2014, 2015 before a lot of people have it. But that's what we. A lot of us looked at HD TVs, and uh, and we, you know, I waited. But that's different. That
0: didn't that didn't require that uh, HD TV didn't require any specific hardware aside from a a DVD player that could play HD if you were going that. But that was it's you put it it's you replace your other TV with this new one and suddenly everything's better. You don't need to put any headgear on. experience.
1: it depends on whether you 're talking about active or passive glasses, so p- yeah. passive glasses are nothing i mean that 's what they hand you at the theater, you can take those home so they 're free and so the yeah, the real 3 d stuff is all is all passive, and uh, there are TVs that are starting to come out that are less expensive that do passive. Now, active, of course, is the one I have, the 3D TV that I have at the, at the, at the lab is uh, is active so that you, you do need to spend a little bit of money on on goggles, yeah. <laughs> that's what I call yeah. yeah, uh, to, um, to, uh, to, to watch stuff. But it's, it is a, and that's that you get a less expensive TV and a more expensive, you know, for every person. So it just depends on how you want to do it. It is a little brighter and a little sharper to get active. Um, but I think that the future is going to be some kind of passive solution. And so I think by the time this becomes a, a consumer thing, You know, it's most likely going to be passive. The active uh, is very expensive to expand to your friends Mm -hmm. now. But there's a lot of people, especially geeks who are buying this stuff um, that, you know, you need two or three pairs. I mean, when I look at who's watching TV at my house, we would need if we had two pairs, we would pretty much be fine because we're not going to give them to our kids. And it would be something that we would watch you know, after they went to bed, because it's really not good. I, I, from my experience of 3D, I would not let my kids look at 3D. You know, it can't be good for their vision, yeah. um, you, know, be, you know, while they're still growing, because it's, there's so much uh, stress that it puts on your eyes uh, currently, because uh, part of that is people are still figuring it out. You know, they're still trying to figure out what works in 3D, and when it doesn't work, it really is painful.
0: All right, here, here's, here's the, the bringing it full circle back to the This Week in Photo audience. Um, why should photographers care? About 3 d,
1: or should they? well, I think that photographers should care just the same in the same way that we you know we started talking about HDR long before people started shooting with it, and now it's you know it's all the rage, whether you like it or not mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. and so uh, the the thing I think that 3 d will continue to uh, become more and more uh, of, um, of something that professional photographers, people are going to start looking for stereoscopic stuff. There's going to be more monitors that don't require you to actually um, – there's going to be a lot of monitors and, and uh, displays that don't require any glasses at all. Uh, there's a lot of that that we saw at CES as well. And so being able to shoot imagery that, that allows you to do that and being able to do – you know, um, and to be able to supply those kind of photos – I think is going to be something that is, uh, you know, going to continue to expand for people who are doing wedding photography. I mean, the the, the number one reason that I would buy the three D H the three D A one from Panasonic, which is a video camera, mm-hmm. or you know, or or really spend a lot of money on on a three D rig, would be to do wedding photography or wedding wedding videography. And it's not because they, <laughs> there are just there, there would be it's not that everyone wants a three D wedding. But there, I, I'm going to bet that there are enough people, uh, that if you, if there's not that many people doing it right now, there's enough people that would be interested in having, you know, having a 3D version of it, um, to wow their friends, uh, that would keep you fairly busy, you yeah. know, right now. Now, if, if everybody has one, then it, it won't be interesting because there aren't going to be that many people that want 3D weddings. But, but it is, especially the live-action stuff that when you're walking around shooting video, uh, it can be really compelling. I mean, it's just yeah. really cool to see. And I want to be – people who are listening, uh, on my little YouTube feed, I'm going to be actually posting more and more 3D tests uh, starting next week, actually. I'm going to be posting some stuff from my some of my 3D cameras uh, and rigs that I have at the house. I'm, I'm doing a lot of R&D right now with that. So I have rigs and cameras and all kinds of stuff everywhere doing 3D. So, that's so anyway, cool. but definitely. So gonna, I think as far as printing goes, I don't know. Yeah, I, I
0: was going to ask you, like printing, because that, that's the other th- – other piece does do people care I mean, about I don't
1: know it? I don't know I, I I don't I don't print images like I don't print them when they're 2d you know, yeah. I, you know, number, <laughs> you know so so I kind of like I don't know if you'd really watch I mean the number one thing that my li- my wife likes about I switched out of a roku and put in an apple t- TV2 mm-hmm. the number one thing that my wife uses the Apple TV2 for is to uh, she has it linked to to uh, my dot Mac account, on, and I have this all the family photos, mm-hmm. and she just has it playing doing the Ken Burns thing on the on the TV all the time. Yeah. So yeah. that's the number one way that she used the images. That's the number one way she uses the Apple, t- you know, the TV, and you know, your monitor turning your big your big TV into a and it's, they look gorgeous. I mean, they just look yeah. gorgeous on yeah. these on a you know forty six or fifty inch uh, TV, uh, and, and I think that uh, I'm kind of you know 2011 is really my year to be completely past paper.
0: Yeah. Nicole, are you uh, are you planning on doing any 3D work for iStock or do you or in other words, or to put it a different way, do you think as a as a contributor to the service, do you think that they'd be going in in that direction? And if they do, will you be buying new 3D gear and all this stuff?
2: I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. I don't. I don't that's I, honest. <laughs> the only thing I do with 3D is I go and watch movies at the IMAX. You know, that's like I don't I don't have any 3D stuff. Yeah, it's it's so I think I think like you said, you know, in like five or 10 years, maybe it might be, you know, people have more 3D TVs in their house. And then, it you know, it carries over to other things. But I don't know, because maybe for video, I don't do video a lot. You know, I, I only have like a few videos on iStock, and I won't probably ever upload any videos again. So if, you know, I don't know if, if photos that even come into 3d, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to print something in 3d though. Like do like a gallery showing with everybody has like 3d glasses. walking yeah, down that, your would pictures. Be cool. that I could <laughs> see would be really kind of fun. But other than that, you know, I don't really see, you know, I'm not going to print a 3d photo and put it on my wall if I have to have glasses on every one time I want to look at it. So yeah, this the, I, I, I really don't care about 3d when it comes to my own personal photography. And I don't, Really, you know, from a only contributor-only standpoint with iSuck, I really don't see it happening from the photography side of things. Maybe the video, but I don't know. Things move yeah. so slowly, you know. It's, we'll have to keep it, – we'll keep our eye on it. We'll keep our yeah. eye on it.
0: Um, <laughs> just one, one last thing that I want to touch on uh, before we jump into uh, an interview segment that I, I want to toss us to. Yeah. SanDisk has unveiled the world's fastest high-quality CF card, and it's 128 gigabytes with 100 megabytes per second write speed for uh, just under $1,500. Like a
2: like what penny under $1,500? Uh, yeah,
0: one penny under $1,500. Uh, Nicole, yeah. yeah. You know, you're, you're feet on the street, you're, you're shooting all the time. And, you know, every piece of gear you buy counts and it's got to work every time. Is this going to be on your list for Christmas next year?
2: No, no. (laughs) nobody, first of all, nobody buy a (laughs) $1,500 card for me. I wouldn't buy one for myself. I, I I only, I only shoot stills, you know, I'm not going to, I think I, you know, and I'm sure that Alex can probably, you know, give some good opinions on this is, I'm guessing this is probably mostly good for video photographers and maybe yeah. maybe high speed like action sports photographers.
0: Or, or if for the photographer who absolutely positively has to have all of his eggs in one single basket.
2: I guess so. I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, if I had a 128 gigabyte compact flash card that maybe cost a couple hundred dollars, I would probably use it. I rarely fill up a card, you know, because I mostly just do like small shoots in my studio. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm not really too f- afraid of putting everything in one basket. I usually back things up at the end of the day, anyways. If I'm out, you know, on a vacation or whatever. So
3: yeah,
1: Alex, is this the is this the holy grail? Holy yeah, grail. It, 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 It's a video card. It's not. This isn't for still photographers. I mean, this is a waste of money and time for a still photographer. But I think that. But I think that this is a for video for folks who want to shoot higher end um, video when you're shooting like let's say Apple ProRes you know, 4 by 4 You're you you're really talking about, you know, uh, speeds of 30 megabytes, 40 megabytes a second. And you want to have headroom over top of that to make sure that you can really capture that. Yeah. And, and and there's a bunch of cam- Canon has cameras that, that capture CF. And uh, so I think that what we're going to see is, and $1,500 for 128 gigs is a lot. Uh, it's a little less if you are a, um, if you're a video person, a video professional that needs that kind of speed and that kind of uh you know that in in that form factor and and i, I don't you know i, I think that 's it i i don't think this is really a photography you know tool okay
0: all right all right. Uh, before we move on to to the next segment, I want to um, give a uh, quick intro to our guest. And I did. A, I was able to I was in New York for business a couple of weeks ago, and I was able to catch up with a podcast. Another podcast host, Chris Marquart of the Tips from the Top Floor podcast, uh, came on, and I did a quick interview with him about how he is moving away. Yes, I said away. From digital photography and going back to film and dip and dunk and analog and how he's loving it. So he, uh, we we chatted for a little bit on that. It's a pretty interesting inter- interview. So give it a listen. All right, I'm here with Chris Marquart. You probably know him. He's a he's a fellow podcaster and runs a very popular show online. In fact, I was listening to Chris before I join the podcasting community, Uh, but Chris does a number of other things other than, than, I was going to say just podcasting, but other other than podcasting, along with being a photographer, he does all those things that that famous photographers do, like workshops and publishing and that sort of thing. So Chris has agreed to come on the show to talk about what he's been up to, but in particular, we're going to have an interesting conversation about... Um, I don't want to take the cat out of the bag, but it's it's photography related, but not what you think. So, Chris, welcome, <laughs> welcome back to the show. How are you doing?
4: Hey, Frederick, doing good. Yeah, famous. I don't think uh, mo- more infamous, probably.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're self-deprecating. You are famous. You're a famous <laughs> photographer, and one of my influences. So, thank you for that. Uh, oh, totally. What? So, what have what have you been up to over there? You're based in Germany, so thanks for thanks for you know messing up your. What time is it there? Is it evening?
4: Yeah, it's it's eight ish.
0: Yeah, so it's
4: eight, eight PM, around eight PM. No problem with that. I'm a night owl. I can I'm I'm okay. As long as you don't make me get up at six AM <laughs> I'm totally fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. But uh so thanks thanks for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. You are uh like I mentioned when I was doing a little intro there, you you're doing a number of things aside from podcasting. Um you wanna talk about that a little bit? like the 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 stuff that you're doing around the podcast—did those did those things come about because of the podcast, or were they sort of on tandem tracks?
4: Well, some some of them did. I I was um, very much into photography uh, since I was a kid, and I, I I kept doing that. And then later, when I got a quote a real job, not as a photographer, um, I kept doing it as a side business, and that all kind of um there was always this, this photography thing going through my life and um and then at one point i ended up um hearing about that new thing podcasting and um i'm on the multimedia side so i, I come from audio processing and photography and and the the graphic side of things and the computer side of things and the internet side of things. So doing a podcast was kind of a natural choice for me. So that's how the podcast happened. And, and then the podcast started to fuel a lot of other things. Yeah. And one of them, uh, were the workshops, um, I started the podcast in early 2005 and it's uh, after not too long, people started asking if there was a live version of that in some way. So I I never went about, um, starting the I never started it from the workshop side or from the business side even I started it from the I want to do this thing about photography I want to teach I want to help people become better photographers and um, and then people wanted that live and I thought why not do a workshop about that and I did one in Germany as you said I'm based in Germany so um, I announced that first workshop in in 2006 and uh, I had people on that workshop from the u.s from the uk from switzerland from germany from like places that was pretty mind-boggling that was very very um flattering but that is really good yeah and and i uh and then then i that's when i started to think wait a minute (laughs) there's something there (laughs) and then in 2007 i did the first uh us tour and um but, yeah, it's just it's it's been growing and growing and growing. You
0: see, and you say that you're not famous. See, see, I told you, you are you are known worldwide. That's and that's awesome. In a very
4: in a very small niche, very very small niche compared to some others. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, photography, you know, it's a but well, you're it, within the photography industry. I would say that you 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 definitely have a name. So. I mean, and and then on the workshops themselves, I I remember, so you said you started the podcast in 2005, and I remember that. I remember, I don't know if it was the, the first episode, but I remember when podcasting, it seemed like it was around the time when podcasting was first starting to take hold yeah. as something i remember looking and finding looking for stuff to put on my ipod and photography related and boom there you were you know and you were accompanying me on my commutes from that point forward so <laughs> you know so how how did how did you know how do you feel between between then, when this thing first started got it started and got started, and people didn't know what podcasting was till now when it's kind of mainstream, everyone knows what podcasting is and yeah you know, how, well, how does it has it changed in your perspective
4: well back back then, getting into that field of podcasting about photography was was fairly easy and yes, it was early days of uh podcasting and um it wasn't that much competition so it was fairly easy to get uh the foot in the door and to get Um, heard by a lot of people, which, yeah, that was just a very lucky thing that happened there. And, photography, for me, a lot of photography has changed. Um, First, there was this transition to digital, which helped accelerate a learning process for probably everyone who got a digital camera. I mean, the, the the speed you can learn about photography just by the mere fact that you have this device with you that has a display on it. And that gives you some basic information about the picture you just took um, or the picture you are about to take. That is just, um, that's just a wonderful development. And, um, and then the podcasting, when that came along, I put myself in that spot where I had to keep doing it and I wanted to do it regular. And I think initially i I overdid it a bit. I did three episodes a week, which was kind of, wow. which is a crazy schedule. We're, um, we're,
0: we're just trying to keep up with one a week and you were doing three a week. That's a, that's well, crazy. I'm, I'm,
4: I'm back to one a week right now. So <laughs> it's hard to sustain, especially if you do other things around it. And, um, but the, the, the fact that I started that podcast, I also, um, had to start researching and, and uh, finding out about things because I got questions from people and I wanted to know more about a lot of things, so I would say that just doing the podcast has really accelerated my uh, all my 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 background in photography and all the the stuff I know about photography um, so i 've grown through that whole thing a lot myself, and i 'm um, very grateful for that i 'm yeah. absolutely grateful
3: for that
0: yeah isn't it amazing though? I mean you know you look at and we talk, I think we talk about this on the show a little bit, but you know, just the way the world has changed. In fact, I had a conversation with Rebecca, uh, the, f- the famous Flickr photographer, um, mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, about how the things that she's doing now and the notoriety that she's enjoying and the opportunities that have been have been afforded to her just because of the internet in general and specifically in her case, Flickr. You know, she's she's, she's a photographer that's done ad campaigns and all kinds of things that would. Would not have been possible for an Icelandic-based photographer, you know, just five, six years ago. So oh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I've, I've
4: sold, I've sold pictures to to car companies and stuff. I just just by having them online and and uh, being visible, which nowadays is so easily possible. So yeah, it's it times have really changed a lot. And and then and then times the the, the acceleration that you see with things, uh, especially with digital photography. Um, whatever, 16 gigabytes, 32-gigabyte gigabyte cards, uh, cameras that shoot 20, 25 megapixels, um, but you can still carry them around like, like almost like a compact camera. Um, that whole acceleration, all of a sudden, for me, um, has also started to turn into a deceleration again because it it, it, it gets to a point where I've found that it's a bit too much.
0: Deceleration. So wait, Deceleration. Is that a so- word? It, yeah. I think it is a word, but we're we're looking at. I mean, you know, technology is racing forward at a rapid pace. Oh, yeah. We're looking at these new new sensors every several months, new lenses, bodies that can do this, that video HD, uh, GPS. All this stuff has been crammed yeah. into these camera bodies, and now,
4: oh, and I love it! Don't yeah. get me wrong, I love it. I'm I'm a, I'm a uh, I came of age in the '80s. I'm a I'm a digital person. I I know about computers. I know how to deal with them. I'm I'm a network guy i'm an internet guy i'm i'm happy with with the technology and everything that's around and i love seeing new things but on the other hand if i shoot for myself i've, I've over the last year basically started to switch more and more back to analog
0: really like analog I'm, meaning film like
4: film? i'm shooting more film again and um first it was it was kind of this one thing, oh, well, let me try. Uh, a neighbor stopped by and he had this old Minolta X700 and he was about to throw it away, basically, because he bought a digital camera and he didn't have any use for it. And I said, I'll take it. OK. And I used to have a Minolta X700 when I started off. That was my my main camera and it was a great camera. So, I all of a sudden I had this camera again that I knew and and it started bringing some things back and I have done a lot of it. it's it's more it's more like a journey that I'm on um trying to explore and trying to find out more about photography and finding out more about the roots of photography is important for me there are lots of motivations to do that um i mean we 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 see this being a kind of a trendy topic um the and 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 you're aware of lomography, um which is kind of one of the the trendier Areas of analog photography, and they've they've they brought back the Holga, the Diana, um, even wilder things like a wide-angle pinhole Holga, which is really interesting. Um, or have you ever heard of sprocket hole photography?
0: I have. Yes,
4: getting getting pretty popular now with uh, at least certain circles where you where you use a larger format comp camera, put 35 millimeter film in it, and and expose the whole thing, including the sprocket hole. Um, Latest wild thing from their side of the seen is the spinner, which is a camera that you hold and there's this this um, the string you pull out, and while you pull out the string, the camera rotates 360 degrees and exposes film constantly. So you get a 360 degree panorama on 35 millimeter film.
0: Wow! See is- now, see now, what 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 is popping up in my head is this is all great and I love it and it's nostalgic and. And of course, I, I'm going to get back into it as well. But the the naysayers or the the digital advocates will say, Chris, all that stuff that you're referring to, you can do that in Photoshop. You know, oh, yeah, totally. why not just do it in Photoshop? <laughs> you know why are you going through all this, you know, exposing yourself to chemicals and and polluting the planet with all the film substrates and all this? Why not just do it in in, uh, you know, software? What would you argue? Okay,
4: for? there 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 are a ton of uh, of motivations why to shoot analog photography. Nostalgia is one of them. And I nostalgia is cool with me, no problem there another motivation might be that people just want to be different which i can also kind of understand one of the things that motivates me among a lot of other things is technology um just having a camera in your hand that is a very intricate work of art if you look inside one of the cameras um they are they, that's that's a mechanic that is best that is really nicely well done clockwork kind of thing but it's also helping me to slow down and that is a really important motivation for me um and it's not just i mean i could just slow down with a digital camera and decide not to take that many pictures but going that route at least for my private again if i shoot for customers hey, it's all digital obviously and um i i need to have predictable results there but slowing down and and forcing myself into going out and shooting with a camera that shoots eight frames on one film for example that is that that is that is uh Limiting, deliberately limiting my choice, and that means I will have to work in a very different way. Changes the way I work. It's much less, um, I, I would say out of a 12 image film, I probably get 20 to 30 percent images that I will be happy to share out of 100 digital pictures uh not sure maybe one or two so the percentage is really bigger because i approach photography in a totally different way it's showing me the world from a different side
0: wow like you're saying i think the the thing that clicked for me is yeah you you, you have these like we were talking about before these high-tech state-of-the-art in, or cameras that you can put on continuous high and automatic and just paint with them and capture everything that they see, you know.
4: You heard the term spray and and pray?
0: Spray and pray, yeah, yeah. And hopefully you'll get one image that looks like you meant to do it, right?
4: And and I'm not saying that is the style I shoot when I shoot digital, but the digital photography kind of leads itself more to that. Oh, I, I see this one subject. Let me try this from 10 different angles and then choose the best one later on. Or let me try... Twelve different pictures of this—a uh, portrait, a landscape. Uh, um, I do that to some extent with film, but much, much less. I spend more time trying to work more conceptual, to work more planned, and um, that is that is really changing things for me. And that filters back into digital photography really nicely. So how does and that
0: it, how does that change how you think about like say just like photo walking, for example, when you go out and you're just sort of hoping to get a the serendipitous happenstance image? Um, are you would film not work into that? I know you, you know. Of course, in the old days, we could go out and take a camera and and photo walk all day long and get great shots. But now that you've been been sort of marinated in digital, going back to film where you have to, you can't just say, "Hey, oh look, a picture of a sidewalk crack," and snap it and then keep walking. It it sort of changed that whole metaphor, right?
4: Um, yeah, in a way, it does. Um, and I would not necessarily make film my first choice for street photography because a certain percentage of that is spray and pray. It just has to be because you shoot from the hip and you do you work in a different way. And that's where digital really works. I think it's more to use the right tool for the right thing. And the analog, I mean, it, it's also style choice for me. The, the The thing that comes out of the camera is by a large margin determined by what film I put in there. So I'm making a choice and I'm making that choice before I go out and shoot and making that choice is something that changes a lot uh, and, and, and having to make that choice. Um, I've recently, well, not recently, actually quite a while ago, I've, um, I've seen this video by Dan Gilbert. And if you haven't uh, heard about him, Dan Gilbert is a Harvard professor of psychology and he wrote a book called stumbling on happiness. And he did this TED talk called, uh, with the title, why I'm we happy and he explores happiness from a psychological point of view with very interesting experiments he talks about and it is worth watching it I will send you the link have a look at that it's a 20 minute video and it's I don't know how many times I've watched it so far probably 10 times and it, it kind of it gives me this feeling after I watched it the first time I was like now that explains because one of the things he states there and it makes a lot of sense when you watch the video is that in a world where you have too many choices where, where you can change Change your mind all the time where you can. And in digital photography, you can do a lot of that. You can change your mind. You can do 12 different developments of this one picture and you can do, change it here and change it. You can do that to a certain extent analog, but much, much less. So, um, making up your mind and, and making that choice in the end will lead to more happiness with the product. Yeah. And that is something that I kind of knew, but I wasn't, after, after, after seeing that explain, hearing that explain from someone who, who studied that for his entire life. Um, It really started to make a lot of sense all of a sudden.
0: So where where do you where do you plan to take this? Are you like are you going to? Of course, for your commercial and and training type things, your digital will be the way to go. I think. But what 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 do you like? Is it? Is it like a hobby within a hobby? The the
3: film.
4: Well, I mean, I mean, this is a hobby within a hobby within a hobby. First of all, <laughs> I, I, I made my hobby my choice, uh, my job. So um, what I'm doing. Whenever most people say um, work, I say, "Why work? It doesn't feel like work." So I'm doing anyway what I, what I want to do. And then there's the digital thing, and that is my job. That is my, and that is a great tool to teach. That is a wonderful tool for the workshops. You can do quick image reviews, and you can explain a lot of concepts very well and you can get super clean high quality results from a digital from almost any digital camera nowadays and then there is this creative side and and creative in in a sense where you start letting things invade that process of photography that might not be as plannable as you want to look for example at visual experimentation in in cross-processing have you ever uh, shot a, a roll of slide film and processed it as a negative film
0: yes i have cross-processing that, yeah.
4: that does change a lot in the way the colors come out and uh, you can fake some of that in digital you can fake a lot of that in digital but It's not just about the look. That's what I'm trying to say. It's more about the underlying thing. So I'm on on this huge journey right now, um, exploring camera technology, cameras. I've now built up a little collection here of like 15 old analog cameras. I've just returned from a, from a photo trade show where they had a lot of used stuff and uh, brought back uh, a technical camera, a monorail. So a large, huge five by four studio camera. Well, it's huge compared to what I, what I was used to. So I'm, I'm exploring different film sizes or sensor sizes because uh, the size of the media that you shoot on changes a lot in the expression of the picture and the visual language that a camera has. So, um, most of these cameras have a certain character, which is interesting because most of my digital cameras don't feel they have that character. But even even if I shoot medium format and I shoot two different cameras, medium format, they will speak a different visual language just by the choice of lens that is in there or the the way I work with them. There might be a camera that if you work with people and you shoot portraits, some people might need a very aggressive camera that goes chunk And some people might need a very uh, soft little click from... A different camera some pictures will just speak differently when taken in different ways and uh, analog gives me that the freedom to experiment and it is it is different from just strapping a lens baby on your digital camera and shooting yeah. through that
0: all right so then you're out shooting you because well, you're right I mean everything from the film selection down to processing everything it comes into play when you're shooting film, which a lot of folks that are that have been introduced to photography through the magic of digital um, don't <laughs> don't have the uh, the the or the the joy of kind of experiencing all that. Like, okay, if I shoot with 100 ISO film versus you know 1,000, what you know what the differences are, in making those choices ahead of time, loading up yep. your camera, then going out and capturing that image that you had in your mind's eye, and then coming back. So on the coming back piece Chris what do you do i mean are you processing yourself and 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 printing or are you what, is the plan to just <laughs> scan them in and then bring them into photoshop what you, what are you going to do
4: at one point uh in my in my former life before digital photography i've sworn that i'll never ever again do darkroom <laughs> and enlargements in darkrooms because i mean you literally you end up with one or two good prints a day yep. and that is and you you and if if you mess up the the um the burn and dodge and working on the edge burn and that kind of stuff well you have to do it over again so you you there's no undo. <laughs> that's yeah. a problem. That's right. a problem for me because I'm also impatient. So,
0: And it's not repeatable either. I mean, that's if you, if you make a great print that you spend all day doing, it's very hard to get back to that same series of, of circumstances that allowed you to make that print, including the chemistry yes. makeup, the paper, the timing, all that stuff. So if someone says, Chris, the print you have on your wall is awesome. I want one and I'm going to pay you a million dollars for it, but it has to be exactly like that one. You just well have then, to give I would a, tell me exactly them that
3: one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you'd have to give no, them that I, one.
4: <laughs> so, so the typical workflow for me right now looks looks this: I I come home with a couple of rolls of film. Um, I put them in a developer tank, which it's a it's a daylight process. So you put them in a in a developer tank in a in a dark bag, which is you can do in daylight. So they are protected from the light, and then you. Put in the developer. this is mostly black and white work right now. um put in the developer, give it some time. I've just recently discovered stand development, so the <laughs> I've just recently done a an almost freezing point twelve hour development, so it has a lot of room for experimentation there normally wow. it takes like normally it takes like five to ten minutes to develop a royal film uh fix it, and then within twenty twenty five minutes after I returned, I have the negatives hanging off something to dry and then I scan them in so it's a hybrid process it's a, it's analog acquisition of the images and it's a I scan them in and I keep working on them in digital. I obviously import them into Lightroom and I do a bit of uh, further processing on them. That is the darkroom work. That's the where I would do the print and I print them out on an inkjet printer. So that is my current process. And not sure where this is going to go because again, it's a journey. <laughs> yeah, <yep. laughs> it changes so many things. And uh, the more for each little door I open, I find a whole new universe of uh, possibilities in that is very very exciting. There's one thing about analog photography um, that I found where it is massively superior to digital photography right now, in a in a sense of image quality, and that is: Have you ever shot with a black and white film that is sensitive in addition to the visible range in the infrared range?
0: Um, I have not. I have not and shot this, with infrared film.
4: This is. I'm not talking infrared. I'm talking. A film that is visible, uh, that, that is sensitive in the visible range, plus, in addition, goes into the infrared range. Oh. What what these, films, no, I haven't. what these films do is they open up the shadows like you've never seen anything before. It's amazing how much detail you get into shadows um, that you can't see in digital, because the digital camera has an infrared blocking filter in built-in that just cuts this uh, information out. So you end up having, yeah, open shadows, very. shadows um, the dark areas all of a sudden get a lot of detail without having to do any HDR or pushing things so within one shot you get like an incredible tonality that I have not been able to reproduce in digital so far
0: that's interesting that's really cool so that 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 sounds intriguing now that film to do that, is that very expensive film, or is it like where
4: talking, do you get it? Where we're talking? Well, the, the films have different uh, um, designations. That would be a, a super panchromatic film. So there's okay. there's the orthochromatic film, which was which is kind of the early film back back before the 1950s, which uh, was mostly sensible in the green and blue area, which didn't see any red light. Film noir is uh, orthochromatic film, where like blood stains are all black. That's because it doesn't see red. Um, and then the panchromatic went a bit further into the red range. And then there's a super panchromatic, which goes into the red range and beyond that into the infrared. And, um, no, films, you can, you can buy films. Go to your favorite photography website, BNH Photo or Adorama or Calumet. And um, you'll be able to buy a film from them in all sorts of uh, sizes and shapes and uh, sensitivities. And uh, film is, is um, pretty much alive, actually.
0: That's great. That's great. So then I guess the last, the last piece of that is once you, you've captured the image, you've imported it, you've done whatever you're going to do to it in Lightroom, and you're happy with it, what then? Are you sharing? Is the plan to share online, or are you going to continue it and and create a print from that and hang that on the wall? What's What's the end game for the process?
4: Well, I'm I'm a huge fan of printing your work in whichever way because um, just holding that photograph in your hand is so much different than watching uh, than 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 looking at it on a screen. Um, it's just it doesn't compare. Just doesn't compare. So, um, I do print out my work. I hang it on the wall. I share it, but I also put it online. So, uh, I have a Flickr site and I put some of that online there. Um, and again, the, the analog side is mainly my personal project. So a lot of that is actually ending, ending up online. But the real thing, um, I think that's one of the next things, trying to find someone to work with to start doing some actual analog prints. But I don't want to spend entire days in, in the dark. I don't want to do that. So yeah. I'd have to find someone to help me with that.
0: You'd rather spend days in light room, not in a dark room, right? <laughs>
4: yes, that's why it's called Lightroom.
0: Yeah? <laughs> exactly. Totally. You, you got it. And, Oh,
4: one one other thing that I find pretty intriguing... Uh, um, even though I don't really have much use for it yet, is the resolution that you get from the from medium format or even large format. I mean, scanning in a four by five inch negative that has so much information on it. It's it's. Very hard to believe. I mean, we, we're talking several hundred megapixels on one of those images. Uh, if you have the right film and if you scan it properly, so you, yeah, you will you'll have more information than you need. So if your 10 megapixel camera is not enough for you, that might be something to try out.
0: <laughs> wow. So then, um, so you mentioned at the at the beginning of the interview that you are you're doing workshops around the country, around the world, you know, and and having a good time doing that. Are we going to see a chris marquardt film workshop anytime soon
4: um actually there are film <laughs> workshops already um, awesome. but most mostly here in germany and in the german language i have to say um, I have a partner here in Germany who's, um, they have a, a, an analog online shop. They sell a lot of analog gear. They're really good with all that. And together with them, they're Coach Buesen, uh, Together with them, uh, I've been holding several analog workshops so far. And um, we're going to extend on that. Nothing in the U.S. planned so far, but um, never say never. There might be opportunities for that. Right now, it's German marketer that is really, really interested in that.
0: So extending from the digital world into the, or from the Analog world into the digital world. I know you have a, a product online or on iTunes right now called Pocket Chris. What is oh, yeah. what's, that, what's that all about?
4: Well, um, I, I was I was thinking about um, starting to generate some interest in another channel because the the podcast universe is a limited universe, and the radio listening universe is a limited universe, and they don't overlap that much. And the same is with people who who look at these things online and want to do. Like uh, want to get an iPhone app for that, so I thought, why not come up with an iPhone app and, and try that out. So that's la- last summer I um, or oh, this year summer I tried this. Well, I came up with this little Pocket Chris app, which is uh, it's an application that gives you. It's 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 not one of those photo apps that you throw a photo in and then it does some filtering and spits out a photo that looks different. Uh, it's a it's a teaching app. That's what I'm about. It's about um, learning about photography. So. It gives you different chapters, and for each of those chapters, for example, a chapter about depth of field. And instead of just telling you or giving you stuff to read about that, it actually lets you try it out. So you have this little viewer and a wheel that you can slide back and forth, and um, that'll step through different depths of field in a picture. So you will actually see what depth of field at F1.4 looks like compared to F11. Um, or exposure or um, all sorts of concepts. So the, and in addition, there is also material, written material in there. So you can try it out and then read on it, and read about it. So it's a very visual, very tactile approach of learning photography. And that's the way I learn. I learn by trying these things out. That's maybe one of the reasons I'm uh, so much into analog because it leads to so much experimentation. I love doing that. So. So is, it, is, is, it a, is it
0: is it is it a dynamic app meaning you're like you you're publishing content into it regularly or or how does that how does that work
4: um new new content comes into the app um via updates regular app updates mm-hmm. and i'm i'm actually i'm splitting it up into several apps for a couple of reasons so there is the, the one that's currently out is uh, pocket chris photography basics very basic stuff um good for the beginner. Actually, people write me. They use it now to explain photography to other people. So, it's,
0: oh wow, that's great. Turning them into
4: teachers. <laughs> if they want to explain that pursuit to, to someone, they just get the app out, show them here. Look, this is what it looks like. Um, so that's the first one, and then um, that will be followed by several other apps um, that are more advanced and more topical. So I'm currently working on the Pocket Chris Advanced Photography, and that will be two apps with eight chapters each. And um, the main reason that there's a lot of material in these apps, um, lots of pictures and the size of these apps tends to grow quite a bit with all this material. And I definitely try to keep them under 20 megabytes at this moment. Because um, iTunes or Apple doesn't allow you to download more than 20 megabytes if you're not at your uh, on the Wi-Fi. So I want everyone to be able to just on the road anywhere they are on their 3G connection to just quickly download one of these.
0: Now, are, is, the so there's an iPhone app right now. Is there is, is it iPad? Is there iPad version coming as well?
4: Um, it is. It is compatible with the iPad. You can run it on the iPad. And actually, if you use the, the, the 2x mode on the iPad to view it in full screen. Um, the material in there, the photographs the, the the examples and everything scale up very nicely, so um we took some special care to make sure it looks okay on the ipad it 's not a dedicated iPad app, but it works pretty well on the ipad for now it 's iphone and i'll i 'll first have to see how this works out i mean the the uh, the advanced app will come out in uh, i don 't know probably after Christmas, shortly after christmas that 's the plan right now. And I'll first have to see how that works out and if people really uh, like it. The Basics app had some really great response, but now I'll have to see if people are actually willing to pay for that as well. So yeah. if that works out, I will be looking into different platforms, which includes the iPad and which includes Android. I'm getting a lot of requests from people asking uh, when I will come out with an Android version that is, I I don't want to say it's planned, but it's definitely on my radar. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. What's the what's the cost of the app?
4: Um the initial oh still open. I still haven't really fully decided yet. Oh. Um I I think I think we're looking at um uh, probably in the 199 to 299 range. Okay. 2. So 2.99. <laughs> $2.99 at max. Um probably initially at 199 just as an introductory offer.
0: Wonderful. That's great, man. You got your, how do you, how do you find the time for all this though? You're doing podcasting, you're in the family, you have this, you know, you're doing the business for the apps, you know, there's all kinds of film experimentation where where are you getting this time from
4: well the, the film experimentation actually is more like meditation to me developing a real film i lean back and i it's, it's a very i get in a different state of mind there's so that's a good thing it gives me lots of energy for pocket chris i've actually got some helpers um johannes is a developer who i'm i'm not a, a, i can't do some scripting and some minor development but that app <laughs> needs the proper developers so i have someone helping me there my brother's a graphic designer, so he helped make it look good. And so it's a little team working there. And well, it's just, uh, it's, I do what I love doing. I'm totally into it. And that's why I'm. Well, I'm happy to spend all the time with it and put all the energy in. Most of that does not work for me. The the tech stuff, yeah, that's work, but the, the photography side of it is total
0: fun, absolute fun. <laughs> so what's uh, what's next for Chris Marquardt? What's the, What does 2011 hold for you? Well,
4: 2011 uh, is basically going to um, continue the the workshops. So uh, in parallel to Pocket Chris, there will be new workshops. I'm going to go back to the Himalayas. i um, been there with John Miller of the rest of Everest twice. Now and um, yeah, we're going back there. As long as as we find people who want to come with us and help us make this possible, we will go back. And this uh, next year is going to be the Mount Kailash, which is a very holy mountain of uh, for the Buddhists and the Hindus will be there. And then there will be... Oh, actually, there will be a, uh, an English language workshop in Berlin, Germany. Oh. So that will come up end of May. Um, I'm about to announce that. Well, I have announced it, but I'm about to make it uh, to open it up for registrations. I'm going to do a, a new stop in the U.S. in Washington, D.C., San Francisco workshops, the one that I've done for several years now, the San Francisco Streets of Bari, is going to going to change a bit into... well. Next year it's going to be uh, San Francisco Fire and Night, which will we will have uh, some of the fire artists who do Burning Man um, oh, very perform, cool. perform perform for us, and we'll we'll learn about shooting that kind of stuff, and we'll also hop on a bus we'll rent a minibus and uh, take the entire group to different spots around san francisco for some hopefully amazing night photography san francisco is a good spot for that
0: yes it is it is uh it's very unique
4: and then i'll be back in toronto canada um then the first workshop in toronto this year um in september which is great great city and then lots of workshops in germany as well so um that keeps me busy <laughs>
0: You are definitely getting some stamps on your passport, aren't you?
4: (laughs) Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: that's great. Well, Chris, thank you for for taking the time to uh, you know out of your evening to chat with me. What, uh, where, where are you at online? You know, you've got several presences. Where would you like people to go to find out more about what you're working on?
4: I think the best one is chrismarkward.com. Chris M A R Q U A R D T. I'm sorry for the name. <laughs> 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 Chris M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T.com. and, and that, we'll,
3: we'll
0: link to that too from the show notes. Cool. Very cool, Chris. Yeah, th- thanks, thanks, thanks a lot. so much for
4: having me. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure being on Twip. I'm happy to be back any time.
0: Um, you will be back, and just you know, <laughs> we're still trying to get logistics worked out to get you on the show as a host. It I is want difficult. You to...
4: It is difficult, and I want you on tips from the top floor, obviously. Um, I'd love so... to come on that
0: show. That that would be like you know going on history because it's you know part of my podcasting history.
4: <laughs> so... the, and the logistics around it are not that easy, which which is one of the reasons it hasn't happened earlier because. Um,
0: and yeah, when we say logistics, we yeah. When we say logistics, it just means one of us has to get up either obscenely early or late. However, you look or at it, stay right? up
4: obscenely late. Exactly, and <laughs> and uh, we we're, we're still fighting fighting over that. And oh, yep. we we'll we'll see. So we'll it will be.
0: happen. It will. I'm predicting it will happen. You know, one way or another, you're coming on the show. You can't avoid well,
4: it. Well, <laughs> 2011, I'm, uh, I'm going to spend some time in the U.S. for my workshop. So I'll be in a very similar time zone to you.
0: Well, perfect. That's, yeah, there you go. At worst, it'll be work. three hours different. So <laughs> perfect. Exactly. All right, sir. Well, have a good rest of your evening. Go out and or go process some film and, you know, get zen. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Okay, that was Chris Marquart with uh, with tips from the top floor. You can uh, you can check out a link to his podcast in the show notes. Good guy. Make sure you check out some of his work. He's uh, he's doing some crazy stuff. And like we said in the interview, some some interesting workshops he has coming up in the in twenty eleven. All right, uh, let's give a quick nod to our sponsor. Another one of our sponsors, Alex. Who's up next? Who uh, who else is throwing their hat in the ring to help this week in photo get the word out about their products and services?
1: We've got uh, FreshBooks, and which you and I had a we had a great conversation with them yesterday. Uh, you know, talking about FreshBooks. Of course, FreshBooks is this. You know, it's it's just a fantastic way to, to deal with invoicing. So a lot of people who are listening to, to, to this week in photography, uh, if you're a, if you're a small, you a lot of you are small business owners. You're consultants, freelancers, and you just you know you like having your own you know your business. But, oh, man, I got to tell you. I used to not get paid for like six months, (laughs) not because my clients were were, uh, deadbeats, but because I I didn't send them an invoice. Like, I just didn't get around to the paperwork. I mean, you're like, oh, yeah, I got to (sighs) <sighs> i, oh, I got to figure out my hours. And yeah, you'd, you'd hours. rather
0: be you actually doing the work than asking to get paid for
1: the work. Oh, my gosh. And, and then you don't want to have that conversation. You don't want to remind them. It's very uncomfortable. And, and, uh, and, and FreshBooks just takes care of a lot of that for you. So this enables you to receive payments uh, you know, for your invoices as well. So not only can you send your clients uh, the invoice, let them download a PDF, Uh, and it it looks professional it's got all you can have all your branding all the other things that you need um, but they can actually pay versus PayPal or you know there's a ton of other electronic payment services depending on what you have but if you don't have anything you can set up a PayPal account and have them do it there so they can do it BAM it's just easy Uh, you know you have uh, automated late payment reminders if you want them so if you want to just if you want to have somebody bother your client without it being you um, you can have it do that for you Uh, and uh, you can also uh, invoice by the hour so you can do time tracking within you know and, and, and have it just kind of build up and then and send the invoice out. Um, you can also, for a small fee, have them do physical invoices. So they'll actually send out uh, the invoices uh, in paper uh, on dead trees if you if you need it. So um, so anyway, the uh, that's all possible. It is, you know, I just have to say that after I, uh, you know, uh, we have a, a lot of people that kind of manage that now and we've got a lot of clients and everything else. But, I, you know, as we were getting started and, and as I think of back when I was a freelancer, I... You know, I just can't believe that I wasn't using something like this. It's just it's just so much trouble otherwise. And and here's the crazy thing. If, if you have a couple, a handful of uh, clients that that you're, you're dealing with uh, less than three or up to three, uh, you can actually um, do this for free. Completely so,
0: free. That's what blew me away yesterday. It was because I was I was thinking as they, was, they were running through the kind of explanation of the features and all that. And I was like, OK, how much is this? 60 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month or whatever. You know, and I was like, then he got to the point I didn't even get my question out. He's like, oh, yeah. And it's free for people with under three clients. I'm like, that's that's the a lot of people have just, you know, a couple of clients that they work with at a time. So that's
1: it's amazing. you right yeah no it 's just so i mean i i went for a couple of years actually our company went for a couple of years um uh with just uh you know that's all that 's the only uh um, you know, we only had one client for a long time or two clients. We had two clients and we we're like, wow, you know, and, and so uh, it became, but you, of course it can grow with you. So you can have up to, I think, 20 clients once you uh, pay like 10 bucks a, or 20 bucks a month or something like that. And then for 30 bucks a month, you can have as many as you want. Yeah. So, um, so it's just a really, uh, it's a great, great way to, uh, to deal with, deal with something that you don't want to deal with. I mean, you're a photographer, you don't want to deal with the stuff. You just want to get paid.
0: Yeah. My, my favorite piece of the, of their service, I mean, it's all great. I, I went through, set up an account and played with it and got it branded with my with my logo and all that. But my favorite piece I got to say of the service is the automated billing. So you like you set up a client and uh, you say, okay, these this is the billing schedule. It can the service will automatically remind them and remind them and remind them so that you don't have to And it's not like you're the bad guy. It's like, oh, that's just
1: my accounting department back there. letting you know, right? (laughs) It's automated automation is awesome. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and just being able to sort that out and then for you to be able to quickly see what's been done and what hasn't been done just makes a huge difference. So definitely go go to go to FreshBooks dot com. Let us let them know that uh, Twip sent you uh, and, uh, you know, make sure that we get the get our props. <laughs> and uh, uh, but we we're really excited to uh uh, to, to have them as a, as a sponsor because it's just a you know it really isn't about i, I said this on act break we were talking about it's not about how much you get paid for your work it's it's often more more important about when you get paid for your work yeah uh, cash flow as you start to turn this into a real business becomes king. Yeah, you know, yeah and This so, is back so end systems.
0: Yeah. Back end systems cash flow and you know, I would toss in on top of that automation because you don't want to yeah. be you don't wanna be the guy that's like, okay, now I gotta spend my Friday night following up and writing invoices and printing this and emailing that and asking for money and all this stuff. Yeah. You want it handled for you by uh, by machines that will do it on the back end. All right, uh, speaking of that, it is time to get on to some Q&A. Every week, our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forum, and they find the best questions to answer on the show. And this week's questions are pretty good. Alex, question number one is about uh, getting shots from a helicopter. And, you know, when I think of exotic photography, I think of you. So you, you <laughs> want to read this one? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I thought
1: you said something else there for a second. <laughs> no exotic thank you exotic i was like like, let's keep that off the show hey now so um uh brandon t from vancouver says he will be shooting a wedding in which the bride and groom will arrive to the reception in a helicopter and he wants tips on how to get stunning shots like like the effects of motion blur and using the flare of the sun uh he doesn't want to just photo get a photo of the bride and groom walking towards the lens with the chopper in the background um, and so so here's the thing is that I would definitely suggest if you can... I mean, this is the kind of thing when things are un, uh, unpredictable that you really want two cameras. That's, I mean, that's the one thing I'll say is you really you're going to want to get that classic shot you're, you, and then you're going to want to also get the and when I say two cameras I mean two camera people you know you, you this is something that it, it would be this is why it gets really useful because you want someone doing kind of your uh, conservative um, because one thing you know is if they spent this kind of money to land they're going to want that shot
3: mm-hmm. and yep. so
1: you know if you're going to want to experiment if, if you don't have two people I would just I know you don't want to but I would make sure I would play it a little conservative because you're only going to get seconds too they're going to come off and there's going to be wind going everywhere and I would make sure that you get that classic shot um, that even if it's not exciting I would uh, be conservative and make sure that you get that shot because they will remember if you don't Uh, they will not remember that you didn't get the coolest shot known to man uh, related to this shot but they will remember that they didn't get a shot a good shot a solid shot uh, of them coming out of the helicopter that they spent a lot of money on so um, so that would be that would be my thing if you're by yourself play it play it pretty safe make sure that you really feel like you got that great shot in the can and then you can experiment a little bit but it's all gonna happen in seconds if you can get another photographer uh, to help you, even just with that area, but, or with the wedding, uh, then, you know, have someone shooting, someone that you can trust to sh- get that solid shot, uh, and then experiment, you know, get ups and, 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 uh, move stuff around. Um, you know, you're going to want to, you know, know where the sun's going to be and get a, get a kind of an idea of where you want to stand. I mean, you, the hard part with all of this stuff is just that it's going to happen so quickly. You know, you're really going to have less than t- 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's not only going to be happening quickly, it's going to be chaotic. You yeah. know, um, you know, and so, uh, you know, I would definitely, if I'm shooting near a helicopter, make sure that I have a, you know, a um, some kind of UV, UV filter on my lens because <laughs> it's going uh, <laughs> all the dust and particulate <laughs> matter. Yeah, I, I've shot, I shot once where I was shooting the helicopter before we got on, and um, and it was, you know, there was a lot of, I was, re- I had a UV filter on, and there was a lot of dings, you know, left in the in the in the UV filter, and I was like, I'm so glad that I didn't have my expensive piece of glass getting hit with those rocks. So, yeah. um, uh, it'll pick up a lot of stuff and you want to make sure that you're, you know, a little bit protected there. Uh, and, uh, and now if you're landing on tarmac, it's going to be a lot better. You know, I was, the helicopter was not landing on tarmac where I was doing it. So, um, but if it's landing on a piece of cement or tarmac or whatever, it should be fine, but you just want to kind of keep that in mind. But I would definitely, you know, make sure to play a conservative. If you don't have a little bit of backup, if you have that backup, have then you can have one person capturing it and then one person capturing some, you know, kind of fun moves. I mean, what's really fun is if you can get pictures of them going, you know, in the helicopter. So if you can have someone in the helicopter with them, uh, get photos of them coming out, there's, you get oftentimes really good frames in helicopters where people are leaving and the door will kind of frame out, you know, um, them, you know, their silhouettes as they, as they go out the door. Um, and you know, it's cool. He yeah. Yeah. You know, mentioned
2: here he has a, he has a fish eye too. So that would be kind of, yeah. I mean, you could get, you could get crazy, you know, with these things, depending on how much access you have. If you had access to the you know helicopter beforehand, you could mount a camera. You could pocket wizard remotely. I mean, you could do all sorts of things. It's really just a matter of your resources, <laughs> the yeah. amount of people you have, and you know, and, and who you know. So
0: very cool. All right, and so he has. He says he has a five D, five D two. I'm assuming a Mark two. Um, a 7 He's got two cameras. Yeah, and a seven D that fifteen. Oh, there it is. That's yeah, a 7D. yeah, yeah, yeah. The seven D, and it, so the fifteen mm fisheye, or fifteen millimeter two point eight fisheye. Um, and a 16 to 35, and a 24 to 70. So lots of wide. So he should be out there. You guys are saying he should be out there with one of those lenses on each camera. And, that, pu- and put that
2: twenty four seventy on the 7D. So you have some reach with it. You know, you and then go. go wide with the 5D too. So
0: yeah, yeah totally. yep, totally. All right, but
1: make sure, but just make sure you walk away with the with the uh, A shot. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah.
0: <laughs> I would I would throw one more tip on top of that. Um, do some research because, like Alex was saying, you're not going to have a lot of opportunity to be experimenting out there. So I would um, get online, maybe go to Google Images or Flickr or iStock or whatever and look for things that other people have done to get inspiration Mm -hmm. on how to get some interesting angles and shots and let that be, uh, you know, kind of tickle your imagination about how you can do something different for these folks. Don't just go in thinking, okay, I'm going to shoot a wide shot, I'm going to lay down and get it and then I'm going to branch from there. Have like three or four shots in your head Mm -hmm. of what you want to get and then head out there. That way you'll, you'll feel a little bit more confident and comfortable.
2: Or even, even just talking to them ahead of time and saying, hey, once you get out of the helicopter, because they're just going to the reception, they're not like, you know, walking down the aisle. Could you just pause for 10 seconds, you know, just mm-hmm. yep. you know, I'm not a wedding photographer, so yeah. but that's what I would do. <laughs> All
0: right. Question number two, Nicole, you want to take this one it's from John Decker in Brooklyn?
2: All right. So John Decker from Brooklyn, New York, he says he wants to know if when using a zoom lens in manual focus mode, is it effective to zoom into a point of focus before zooming back out to compose a shot? Or does doing that uh, make the lens lose its initial focus? Now, my experience with this, and I, I think it depends on the lens. I think more like newer lenses are going to be okay. But yeah, you can basically like, I, for example, I use a seventy to two hundred on my Canon. It's a Canon L glass lens. I can zoom in and focus and zoom back out, and and that spot is still in focus as long as I didn't change it. So I, I've never really tried this with older lenses or manual only lenses. Do you guys have any? Any background on that? Any no, no, no. I, no
1: I, I, I believe you can zoom in. I mean, I think that it's, yeah. it's, a back, it's generally a back focus issue. So if, something, if the back focus is rock solid, then it should, you should be able to zoom in, focus, and pull back out. Yep. Uh, and the lens should adapt for that.
2: I, I will say, I will add to this, and this is actually something I do a lot more frequently than using the lens to zoom in and out to focus, is if you have live view on your camera and you're in a situation where you, maybe you can tripod the camera or you're standing really still and your subject's standing really still, you can go into live view and then just zoom way in and focus. And that's a really good trick. Uh, I use that when I'm using my lens baby, actually, because sometimes focus on that is really tricky if you have like a really wide aperture. So, yeah. So use the LCD monitor and the zoom features on your camera. And it's counting. It
1: I use it all the time. Yeah, it's, it's awesome Oh for video.
2: That's probably great yeah. for video. Right.
1: Yeah, because you really you really are zooming in past whatever the resolution is that you're capturing. So you, you yeah. pop in the 10x or whatever, and you can really make sure that you're spot on.
0: Cool. All right, guys, let's move on into the uh, uh, really exciting part of the show. This is the Pix of the week or the pick of the week yeah we need some pick of the week music uh and remember uh contest rules are a pick can be software hardware gear or a workshop whatever as long as it is related to photography all right alex you haven't been on in a while so we're going to throw it to you first what's your pick this is a good
1: time we we're talking about 3d my my pick of the week is the fuji film w3 so this is the new version of their 3d still and video camera and uh it is. I So I bought the W1, and it was a lot of fun. And the W3 is better. It's much better. It's, the, it's, it's slightly smaller with a larger screen. Uh, you have seven. It shoots 720p video, and I believe, I want to say it's 12 megapixels or 10 megapixels uh, 3D. And uh, it is just so much fun. I mean, it, it really makes it easy. You have a lot of control to customize things if you want convergence and focus and a lot of how it shoots. Uh, but it also has just got a great auto mode so that you can just kind of fire it up and go. And if you want to experiment with 3D, it is going to be a different way of doing it. And you don't want to spend a lot of money. It's probably four hundred dollars for the for the camera, rather than lots of big gear and rigs and everything else. It has become my walk around camera. I mean, this is the camera that I mean. I I keep on thinking. I was trying. I was trying to decide should I get an S ninety five or should I get this? And the Fuji just became my walk around camera. I shoot everything with that. That I'm not shooting with my iPhone or or my or my. Uh, my 5D. And, uh, it's just, a, it's, it's an easy camera. It's fun and it's 3d. <laughs> so, nice. uh, and when, and when 3d works, it's just, it just, people love it, you know, and it's just really enjoyable. And I'd rather be shooting the little things that I consider snapshots. I'd rather shoot in 3d, um, just in case they they pop out well. So anyway, that's my, that's my pick.
0: Awesome. All right, Nicole, what's your pick?
2: Uh, my pick this week is the craft and vision eBooks. Uh, they're actually a, Creation by uh, David Dushman. He's been on the show in the past, and I think he talked about them on the show. But I've kind of recently discovered them and have been reading some of them. Uh, they're just eBooks. They're $5 each. You can get them in PDF format, or they're also iPad apps. And uh, lots of really great photography topics by lots of different authors. And, you know, like, they're only $5, so you really you can't lose. It's good information. So it's craftandvision.com to check them out.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I love those ebooks. I have a bunch of them on my iPad right now. They're very yeah. cool. All right, my pick of the week is from a friend of This Week in Photos, Sil Arena. He's made a name for himself with doing small strobe photography, like speed lights and, and small flashes, and showing how you can get big, big light from small speedlights and multiples of them, diffusing them, it, bouncing them all over the place. And he's uh, just published a huge book, wonderful book on, it's called the uh, the Silerina Speedlighter's Handbook. And it goes into all these different techniques for freezing motion and um, doing portraiture and he deconstructs how he does all this stuff right in the book. It's pretty awesome. Um and he uh the reason I'm so intimate with this book is he came and did a This Weekend Photo meetup with us here in San Jose a couple of months ago where he gave a preview of what this book was going to be and got the crowd very excited and then lo and behold, now it's on the shelf. So definitely go check that out. We'll put a link to the Amazon page in the show notes and um check it out. All right. We are once again at the end of another fantastic This Weekend photo. Nicole Young, where can people find you online?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Nicole Z, It's N I C O L E S Y. And I'm also blogging at Nicole Awesome.
0: And Alex Lindsay, as if people don't know, where can people find you? On the Twitters. <laughs> That's it. So your, um, your sign off is now Twitter, like
1: on the Twitters. That's I'm it. on the Twitters. Uh, no, I, I, Alex Lindsay, all one word. Uh, and, um, Oh, uh, yeah, that's the best place to find me. Then you can find me on YouTube at Alex PXC, And then there's, you know, I have Bordersack, which is my, my blog that I occasionally uh, update. And I'm going to update more. 2011, getting rid of keys, getting rid of paper, and I'm going to actually write online.
0: Stuff. Awesome. Yay. It's crazy. Yay. Crazy
1: talk. No more no more Cobweb blog. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> All right. Awesome. And to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, you can head over to ThisWeekInPhoto.com. There you'll find links to our, fin- our Facebook page, our Twitter page, and more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at FrederickVan.com or follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off.
3: This week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with
4: technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.